Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. The Lord Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount, and in chapter 6, Jesus is going to address broad themes of worship in verses 1 through 18, and wealth in verses 19 through 34, and our walk as citizens in this thing that we call the kingdom in chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. And so why is it? That Jesus will address these issues. Why will he talk about these things? Remember, remember the theme throughout chapter 5. It continues in chapter 6 and will continue in chapter 7. It's righteousness. The theme is righteousness. It isn't just the things that we do on the outside, but the reality of who we are on the inside. And so, because the theme is righteousness, Jesus will begin with worship. Because worship is a word that we use to describe our friendship and our relationship to God. The key to understanding this is found in the opening verse. It's going to set the tone. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. The word charitable deeds describes anything that we do that we might call a selfless or a generous or a righteous act. Some translations have alms or charitable deeds, but perhaps it would be better to translate this righteousness. Now again, it isn't the righteousness in the theological term, like in the book of Romans, where you have a right standing with God. Here it is some act or demonstration that you participate in that declares and shows that you have a right relationship with God. And so in verse 1, Jesus says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. The religious Jew was deeply aware of the spiritual disciplines of giving in verses 2 through 4. Prayer in verses 5 through 15. Fasting in verses 16 through 18. Every Jew, every Jew would have participated in giving, prayer, and fasting. These were holy obligations. These were marks of personal piety or virtues. And you have to understand something that the world of the Jew and the relationship of the Jew and the activities of the Jewish people were profoundly, profoundly different from the Greeks and the Romans. 
In the ancient world, Greeks and Romans were not noted for personal philanthropy. Wealthy Romans, wealthy Greeks would give to public projects, but it was for the most part to secure public benefit or public favor. Were there acts of generosity to members of your tribe or family? Certainly, but again, in all fairness to Judaism and the Jews, the law called on Jews to perform good deeds not for the purposes of getting a reward. However, there was constant reward that accompanied selflessness and sacrifice. Clearly, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive, but the average man is willing to let other fellows have the blessing. So the Lord Jesus doesn't make an argument for the disciplines. He assumes that every single observant Jew is going to participate in acts of kindness, in acts of generosity. Clearly what we do matters to God. So Jesus doesn't make an argument for giving, praying, and fasting. What he will do is he will address the issue of motives. What motivates you? What are the motives behind these disciplines? Because again, the point that is being made is your motives matter to God. You might be thinking, well, isn't it good enough to just drop an envelope on occasion in the agape box? Pray on occasion. Uh, resist an extra designer coffee drink in order to help out some worthwhile project. That's actually not what he's talking about. He begins with a warning. And by the way, when you read the New Testament... Whenever Jesus begins a conversation with the two words, take heed, it means I need to warn you. Now, again, it's, it's one thing for me to warn you. It's even another thing for you to warn each other. But can you imagine Jesus walks into the, to the room and he goes, hey, can I just give you a little bit of a heads up? Can I give you a warning? Right from the start, Jesus will begin the section with having right motives, guarding against hypocrisy, doing what's right. What is the warning? The warning is do not seek recognition. Why? The reason, because guess what? God isn't opposed to rewards. Rewards do not bother God. The reality is that the reward will come from either human beings or the reward will come from God. The Lord isn't opposed to rewards. He is just restricting the place where the reward is going to come from. And so he says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. Look what it says, to be seen by them. It's interesting in the original language, in the, in the Greek language in which the New Testament is translated, there are three broad words for to see. And they're all used in the Greek New Testament. One is blepo. Another one is oreo. But it means to look or, or to see in the sense of observe. But here the word is 
thea, may I, which means to pay close attention, to contemplate. The noun form of this word, you're going to understand, theatron. Theatron is the word which we get our word theater. When you go to the theater, you watch whatever it is that you're watching. You pay close attention. And so here in the verb form, what Jesus is basically saying, if we could sort of translate this in a more modern way that you and I would be open to, it's don't parade your piety. Don't put on a show. Don't ask, hey, you know what? If I do this, who's going to play me? Who's going to pay, play me in the made-for-TV movie version of this? That's when you know that you have mixed motives. If the mixed motives are, hey, guess what? Everyone is going to notice what I am doing at this very moment. Here, that's the point. It can't mean don't be seen because otherwise how do we explain the earlier passage in chapter 5 verse 16 where Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Jesus isn't opposed for people seeing what's going on. Here the issue isn't whether or not someone sees or don't sees. Here the issue is motive. And so what Jesus is pointing out is that recognition is the wrong motive. And again, we're given a clue about these public displays of generosity in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, where Jesus brings it up. He says, then he said to them in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, who love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will have the greater condemnation. The Lord Jesus knew that the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees had perverted and distorted the great virtues of generosity and giving. And so generosity and giving didn't just become generosity and giving. It became an opportunity uh, as a showy act of pride. Instead of cultivating a character of generosity, many were participating in swollen, bloated, self-serving, feeding frenzies of pride. So what were they looking for? They were looking for approval. They were looking for the approval and the recognition of men. And because they were looking for the approval and the recognition of men, Jesus is going to bring this stark contrast to bear. Where are you going to get your approval from? Are you going to get it from the people who are around you? Or are you going to get it from the Lord Jesus Christ himself? You know, it begs another question. A question that many of us are really reluctant to ask. And that is, what do you believe about giving? What do you believe about giving? 
Most of us have heard more messages on giving than any other subject. And for many of you, this message couldn't have come at a worse time. You could be unemployed. You might be facing eviction. There might be some other horrible deprivation that you're, that you're facing. But contrary to popular belief, it's not a sin to be poor. And it's not a sin to suffer the loss of material wealth or material goods. Jesus isn't condemning the poor. Neither is he seeking to manipulate the rich. I suspect most who heard this message had far more than they needed. And they gave far less. And yet the same is true in our own culture and society. Most people who hear these messages have far more than they need, give far less than they should, but prepare yourself to be surprised. The point of the passage isn't simply to ask you what you believe about giving. It's to reveal the heart of God and the mind of God and the Lord Jesus Christ about this issue. And so when Jesus brings up the issue, the very first thing that he points out is that God cares about your heart and what's going on inside of your heart. And that might come as a surprise to you. (laughs) It reminds me of a little story of of a little girl named Carol. The surprise, the greatest surprise of her young life was on her fourth birthday, she received a $5 bill. And she carried the bill around the house. She was sitting on the stairs and she was admiring it. And her mother said, what are you going to do with that $5 bill? And she said, I'm going to take it to Sunday school. And the mom said, are you going to show it to your teacher? And she said, no, I'm going to give it to God. He, he's going to be more surprised than anyone to get something other than pennies from me. And some of you might be a little bit surprised of what you're capable of giving. And some of you might be a little bit surprised about what Jesus thinks about giving. He starts with a warning. Giving has no spiritual value whatsoever if it's motivated by pride, if it's motivated by self-confidence, if it's motivated by theatrics. Giving is unacceptable and worthless if it's done to bring attention to yourself. Which in and of itself is a different message than what most of us hear. How many times have you been in a church where the person said, I don't care what's motivating you. We're suffering here. We're struggling. Reach into your wallet and pull out your biggest bill before God. My message is put it back inside of your wallet. If it's going to have any kind of spiritual value whatsoever, the issue has to come from your heart. Would there be a temporary value? Perhaps. Will there be an eternal value? Not at all. And so Jesus says, give. 
But he says, without hypocrisy. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. We're to practice kind deeds and loving expressions of generosity. That's why he says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, again, the implication isn't whether or not you're going to do something. The issue is how you're going to do it. Christians do good deeds. They participate in acts of mercy and pity and compassion. We're not to do our good deeds like the hypocrites. The word is play actors, pretenders. Charitable deeds are those that are done for God's glory and for the blessing of others and not for our own honor. And so recognition provides fuel for hypocrisy. You know, scholars, I I read at least 17 commentaries on this particular passage. And one of the big questions was, did people really blow a trumpet before giving their gifts? I can't believe they spent so much time on something that becomes the least important part of the passage. They probably didn't. But in the first century, in the time of Jesus, in the temple courtyard, there was a place called the Chamber of the Secrets. And people would go to the Chamber of the Secret and they would drop offerings and gifts that were designed specifically for those who were poor or those who were suffering hardship or those because of illness or some other misfortune found themselves in deep, deep difficulties and they would drop their gift in a large brass chest that that some would suggest was in the shape of of a trumpet. And some people even called it the trumpet. And later the poor would come into the Chamber of the Secret And they would be given gifts, distributions, if you will, from the trumpet. And later the poor would come into the chamber of the secret. They would be given gifts. But it was all done very discreetly with humility and and honesty and integrity. But as the years went on, the Pharisees decided it wasn't practical to always go to the temple and go to the secret chamber. And so they still wanted to do their duty. And so some have suggested that they would tie a small brass or silver trumpet to their belt and they would hang it on their outer garment and so they would blow that trumpet so that the poor would gather. Did that really happen? I don't know. But I do know the point. The point is that all of a sudden now, generosity and giving loses its practical meaning. Because now, instead of honoring God, the the point was to honor yourself. And so when Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. It means that they received payment in full. Glory from men means recognition from men. Gratitude from men means respect and gratitude from men. Our gifts are not to secure the respect and admiration of the people who are around us. And so the bigger question becomes, whose attention do you really crave? 
Whose attention do you crave? From men or from God? You know, it was years, years, years ago I read Jim Baker's book, I Was Wrong. Thankfully, some of you don't even have any idea who this guy is. But he was a host of a television program called the PTL Club or the Praise the Lord Club. And there was a scandal that rocked the entire body of Christ. Jim Baker had a huge platform on TV with his famous wife, Tammy Faye Baker. And reproach and deep suspicion caused many people to quit giving to ministries altogether. And Jim Baker was sentenced, believe it or not, to 45 years in prison for receiving $140 million in partnerships for his scam called Heritage USA. He wrote in his book, I was wrong, quote, For the first time, I began to understand what Paul meant when he wrote, but they that would be rich, which I discovered meant they that want to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through many arrows... And through with many sorrows, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. He's citing First Timothy chapter six, verses nine through eleven. He writes, For years I had glossed over that passage of scripture. I ignored it. I made excuses for it. I tried to explain it away. I refused the obvious interpretation. I now see that the The message was right there all the time, so plain, so plain that even a child could see it and understand it. I was wrong, unquote. Jim Baker continues, quote, I could not keep this newfound information a secret. I had influenced so many people to accept a prosperity message. I now felt that I had a responsibility to tell my friends what I'd been learning from my studies in the Bible. I wrote a simple letter, quote, I ask all who have sat under my ministry to forgive me. For preaching a gospel emphasizing earthly prosperity, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. He wants us to be in love with him only. Many people believe that the evidence of God's blessing on them is a new car, a house, a job. But this is far from the truth of God's word. If that be the case, then gambling casino owners, drug kingpins, and movie stars are blessed of God. Jesus did not teach that riches were a sign of God's blessing. In fact, Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. If we equate earthly possessions and earthly relationships with God's favor, what are we to tell the billions of people living in poverty? Or what do you do if depression hits? Or what do you do and say to those who you love? Many in name only Christians would curse God if they lost all their material possessions. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life and there are few that find it. It's time to call from the pulpit. Be changed from who wants the life of pleasure and good things, new homes and cars and material possessions, to who will come forward and accept Jesus and the fellowship of his suffering, unquote. 
You know why you don't hear from Jim Baker anymore? Because this is his message. You know why you don't hear from Jim Baker anymore? Because most people don't want to hear this message. I have two friends who, he was released early, by the way. Instead of serving 45 years of his sentence, he served seven years of his sentence. And when he got out, my friend Franklin Graham and my friend Skip Heitzu took him to lunch. They took him to lunch. They talked with him. They prayed with him. And they gave him a wallet. They gave him a wallet. Not because they were trying to make fun of him. But because they knew that he needed a fresh start. Jesus says give. Give without recognition. Look at what it says in verse 3. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The thought seems to be with no conscious thought as to what others may think or say or do. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing was a simple way of saying without personal advantage refusing to impress anyone. The implication is all that scheming and all that planning for personal appearance or impression is gone. It's Jesus's way of saying, when you give, make sure that there's no strings attached. No strings attached doesn't mean give haphazardly. It doesn't mean blindly. It doesn't mean without a sense of proper stewardship. It doesn't mean give and take no consideration of the accountability in which the funds should be used. That's not what he's saying. The Lord Jesus and his disciples kept a money bag. And they did in fact give. The sad truth is, Most don't. Most self-described Christians won't give at all. And so Jesus isn't saying, don't think about giving. I think Jesus is making the point that generosity becomes so much a part of our nature that we act out of a grateful heart. It was John Bunyan, of course, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, who said, a man there was, and they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Spurgeon said, quoting John Wesley, Earn all you can, save all you can, then give all you can. Never try to save out of God's cause. Such money will canker and rust. Giving to God is no loss. It's it's putting your substance into the best bank. Giving is true having. As the old gravestone said of the dead man, what I spent, I had. What I saved, I lost. What I gave, I have. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And so in verse 4, it says that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So what constitutes a proper motive? Understand what Jesus is saying. Proper motive. We give generously. We give habitually. We give quietly. We give 
privately. We give secretly. We give secretly because God sees all the secrets and rewards openly. What has been done privately. And so that's what it means that your charitable be, deed be in secret means without recognition. And so we give because the God of the Bible is real in our lives. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 7, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, doing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether slave or free. As you can imagine, slaves didn't have a whole lot to give. And oddly enough, free people didn't have all that much to give either. J. Oswald Sanders wrote, The basic question is not how much of our money we should give to God, but how much of God's money we should keep for ourselves. The most satisfying giving is done, and then it's forgotten. It's seeing a need, meeting the need, not wanting or waiting for recognition. So then how should we give? Well, just very quickly, let me look at seven principles very quickly that's going to help us think this through. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. What, what I think that means is give to God from the heart. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And number two, give to God sacrificially. David refused to give to the Lord that which cost him nothing. Many of you know the story of the threshing floor of Ornan. It it constituted what would later become the temple mount. And this is going to be the place where the temple of God is going to be built. And Ornan offers to give it to David. He says, I'm going to give it to you. It's a gift from me to you. And David says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pay the full price for it. Later, Jesus will teach that generosity isn't based on what you give, but on who you are and what you have. You'll remember the story in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, of the widow who gave the two copper coins. They were little bronze coins called pruta. And with these two little bronze coins, you could buy one sparrow on a stick. It it, it had the same amount of value as you might think of it as one very poor meal. When Jesus points to her, he says that she has given all than all the people that you've saw give any kind of a gift because she gave not out of her abundance, but out of her necessity. The widow who gives the two copper coins gives more. How is that even possible? She doesn't have gold. She doesn't have silver. So, 
Number one, we give to God from the heart. Number two, we give to God sacrificially. Number three, we give to God now based on our current situation. The most important thing is that you develop the habit of giving on a regular and a systematic basis. I believe Christians should give to the work and support of the local church. It says on the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2. The person who will not give when they are poor will not give when they are rich. I heard the story of a man who asked the pastor, he says, Pastor, will you please pray that I'll win the lottery? He said, if I win, I'm going to give 10% to the church. And the pastor thought about it and he said, sure. If you'll promise me that you'll give 10% of what you make right now. And the man said, I need that to live on. And the pastor knew that he wouldn't be any less greedy if he won the lottery. Someone once said, Heaven will be filled with such men as have done good works and hell with such as intended to do them. You've heard the expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And give to God financially and spiritually. Some people say, well, if God's so rich and if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, why should I give? And that's a good question. The truth is, God doesn't need your money. I know, it's on film. People are watching me right now. This is the part that they're going to remember. God doesn't need your money. We as a church have to pay the bills. But the truth is, we're going to pay the bills anyway. And if for whatever reason, the day comes where people stop giving, and you notice that the lights are out, and the children's ministry is empty, and there's a for sale sign on the church, many of you might be saying, well, why didn't you say something? You know, my pastor taught me where God guides, he provides. And I have two choices with that statement. To believe it or not believe it. Paul believed it. Do you want to know why? Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which is increasing to your account, unquote. If you cannot be faithful with something so unimportant as money, you won't be entrusted with spiritual things. Luke 16, 11 says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? What is the real value? The real value is the generosity that grows inside of you as the virtue continues to expand. Number five, give to God volitionally. That means from your free will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul writes, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, unquote. So when Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 9, verse 7, so let each one give what he purposes in his heart, 
Many of you, tragically most of you, will purpose nothing. That's what I purpose in my heart. Nothing. And this is, this is what's interesting. When the Bible says not grudgingly or of necessity, it, Paul is making the point not because, again, you have to, but because you want to. And if the conclusion is always an admission of what you believe about yourself in giving, That's really the point that Paul is making. Whatever you decide will become an admission of what you really believe about giving. And so number six, give to God responsibly. Based on need, not greed. Augustine wrote, we do the works, but God works in us. In the doing of the works. We're God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus for the life of, of good deeds, which God designed for us, it says in chapter, James chapter 2, verse 14. Oddly enough, the way that God seems to work in this world is through people ministering to one another and encouraging one another and providing for one another. And finally, number seven, give to God lovingly, not legally. Give to God lovingly, not legally, based on God's generosity towards you. The New Testament contains no law or percentage that you must give. The amount you give is based on the generosity of your heart and the needs of others. If you're absolutely selfish, give nothing. If you're absolutely generous, give everything. If you're somewhere in between... You know where to go with it. Baylor University is a school in Beaumont, Texas. And the Christian who gave the money for building that school later lost everything. He lost all of his property. He lost all of his wealth. And men of the world asked him, don't you wish that you still had that money back that you put into that school? And he replied, not at all. It's all that I've saved. If I kept that money... I know in my heart of hearts, I would have lost it too. I'm thankful that I gave that building when I did. That's what he said. Let me tell you another story. A man writes, quote, I had a little boy, my firstborn. He was a delight to our hearts, he, but he was always costing me something. He needed clothing. He needed shoes. He needed food. He had special needs that I gladly provided. He was my son. And then one day he died. And it was an experience that I hope that you'll never have. And now, he doesn't cost me anything. He writes, Every need is an unfailing sign of life and growth. Body, mind, and soul have their needs and they must be met continually. A ministry that's constantly in need of funds is alive and growing and going somewhere. A dead ministry has no need at all. And it will never bother you. Unquote. You see, most of the giving here at Calvary, it's anonymous. 
Well, does that mean it, it always has to be done that way? Not necessarily. Those of you who have been going to this church for any length of time, you know that we have little agape boxes. And those of you who have been going here for the last 52 weeks, if you're honest with yourself and someone asks you after the service, how many messages has Gino given on giving? You might say, well, it was today. You happen to be here at the one time that he is talking about giving. The other time that he talks about it is in 1 Corinthians. But usually you have to be at our church for 10 years to hear this message. The people in the early church knew that, that Barnabas had given his income from the sale of his land in Acts chapter 4 verse 34. So it isn't always private. In the early church, we read how the disciples, early church members, took the money and goods and they laid it at the apostles' feet in Acts chapter 5. The important thing isn't the manner of giving. The important thing is the motive. It's what's inside of your heart. True righteousness will not remain a secret long. In Psalm 106 verse 3, we read, Blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times, unquote. In the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they'll see your good works. Glorify your Father in heaven. The real question is, am I doing this to glorify God or to bring attention to myself? A.B. Simpson wrote, we are to show when tempted to hide, and we're to hide when we're tempted to show. I like that. So what's the bottom line? We give. We invest in God's work. We sacrifice for him who sacrificed for us. We want spiritual riches more than financial rewards. We're determined to give because we want to meet as much need as we can for as long as we can and because love compels us. So the great and glorious principle, when we forget about ourselves, God remembers us. And when we remember ourselves, God forgets about us. It's really that simple. My granny, my granny, my granny, who I miss every single day, used to say, there are three kinds of givers. She was from Mississippi. Three kinds of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of a flint, you have to hit it with a hammer, and then you just get chips and sparks of fire. To get water out of a sponge, you squeeze it, and the more pressure, the more water. And then she said, but the honeycomb just overflows with its own sweetness. The honeycomb just overflows with its own sweetness. So which one are you? Flint? Sponge? Honeycomb? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. 
Because, Lord, we know that you care about what's going on inside of us and not what's going on outside of us. Oh, Lord, we know that sometimes from time to time, Lord, we have to talk about things. But, Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray that we would hold on to the principles that you've given to us. That when we forget about ourselves, you'll remember us. And that when we remember ourselves, that, Lord, you'll convict us and remind us that there's so, so, so much more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.